I, I understand as pastor and his wife went away, they, they met with some of the leaders and said, let's, let's get somebody for the Sunday when I'm back so I can just relax and, uh, while we're on our uh, vacation. And so they said, uh, somebody suggested, well, let's get the best speaker in America. And they called and he said, no. And he said, well, let's get the most popular speaker in America. And he said, no. He said, well, let's get the best looking. The best looking, the most charismatic speaker in America. And he said, no. So then Brother Davis said to John, he says, why don't you call Phil Nordine? I think he might be available. (laughs) So what was I going to say? I'd already said no three times. (laughs) Yeah. The most compelling messages I would suggest are those that are born out of a life experience. If you've had a life experience, that stays with you. And it was about three years ago, Brother Mel, I was with you and Brother Mel Mullen, and we were over in Surrey, and we were discussing a service that we were going to have the following day. And we were, we were meeting over dinner, and, and I can remember, it, you know, I talk about a compelling experience. I can remember what I ordered that night. <laughs> and I can remember how much I was enjoying that meal. And as I was sitting there enjoying that, I suddenly was startled as I received this message. What did you come to see? And it was so, it was so compelling. It was so, I knew it was beyond my natural understanding. I know when I hear the voice of God. And while I sat there, I was wanting to continue to enjoy my meal. I didn't know if I embarrassed you guys or not. I said, I got to go up to my room. And just dismissed myself from the meal. Suddenly went up to my room, started searching. I knew that was in the Bible. And as I looked, of course, I found it in Matthew chapter 11. And there Christ was challenging the crowd. And he was saying, what did you go to see? And did you go out? And he was talking, of course, about John the Baptist. He said, did you go out to see a reed bending in the wind? Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothing? (laughs) Did you go out to see a prophet? And then he begins to talk to them. Right away, he begins to draw a comparison between his own ministry and that of John the Baptist. And he says, you know, John the Baptist was a vegan. He came fasting and refusing strong drink. And you said he has a demon. He said, I come eating and drinking. And you say, I'm a glutton and a drunkard. Then he makes the most profound statement that just that night in my motel room, it shocked me. He says, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And I go, how do you get that out of what you were just talking about? Like, I mean, that is so far out there. You're comparing two ministries and then all of a sudden, 
Wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. I mean, that's a profound statement. And the longer I meditated on it, the more, the more it became something within my spirit. And then I began to realize that even though John the Baptist and Christ had radically different approaches to ministry, they both had profound results. And what Christ was believing, I think that day, what I believe he was saying, was that we both had profound results. We both got total opposite ministry presentations. But you can't deny the results. Wisdom is vindicated by her results. Then the question came into my mind, how, how is it that they both had such profound results? And I believe the key is, and I know you'll all agree, the power of the Holy Spirit in both their lives. That's what did it. And you know what? Christianity is the only faith that has the Holy Spirit. The only one. And as I meditated on that night, I was reminded about the greatest assignment in history. In all of history, I don't think there's any greater assignment. And that was when God the Father asked the Holy Spirit, go raise Jesus from the dead. I cannot think of anything more profound than that. What's greater? What would be a greater assignment, Brother Mel, than have the Father say, Go raise my son from the dead? Woo! I mean, let's have Brother Mel. He raised Christ from the dead. <laughs> Put that in your bulletin. Think about it. Now, Let me challenge you with this from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the same spirit which raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, it shall quicken, make alive your mortal body. Pinch yourself. Huh? The Holy Spirit will make that alive. He quickens it. Ephesians chapter 1, let me... You can read it on the screen. I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, number one, what is the hope of his calling. Number two, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. These are in according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now that is the stuff right there that makes Christianity potent. What is the line there? What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? That was Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. I want you to understand that. And then he personalizes by saying it's working in you. So here's the rub. It's not God out there in the ethos, someplace functioning and doing God things. It is God coming to be present within every believer 
and working through you to accomplish his purpose on the earth. And he uses mankind to do it. You and I are the best deal going for this world. So as I read that, then I'm aware that there comes a distinction in Christianity. And I hope, I'm praying, I've been praying that I might be able to present this right so that you can receive it within your spirit and go away edified and encouraged to become what God has called you to be. That's my desire today. And I'm praying that none of what I bring comes as a, as a negative or a put down in any way because that's not my intention. But I tend to challenge you. We will never meet this way again. And I'm going to give you this morning the most valuable resource I have. That's time. Once this is gone, it's gone forever. So I am praying, even as I present this, please receive what we have here. There is a distinction in Christianity. And there are those that are Christians that are going to heaven. They're born again. They live a good life. They pay their taxes. They raise their children. They do what they think is best. Full stop. And then there's those whom I call that are different believers that dare to believe. Well, that, that, that sounds peculiar, doesn't it? Doesn't everybody dare to believe? No. Brother Davis and I were talking about it last night, and I, I again felt that hunger and yearning in this man. When are we going to see a greater expression of the power and presence of God in our people and in our churches? And so I want to leave with you some points over the next few minutes, which I call it the four characteristics of believers who dare to believe. Number one, those that dare believe always look for the possibilities that exist to overcome every limitation. Here's one of their characteristics. Those that accept his powers available always see, listen to me, unlimited resources. Because that's who God is. Believers who do not believe that way, look at the contrast, all resources are limited, so their motivation is continually to preserve and to protect. Every decision is based on how much is in the bank. Just saying. Christ approached a wealthy young man, and the man said to Christ, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Christ, you all know this story, so Christ rehearsed all the commandments that the young man had kept. But he had within him that hunger that you and I were talking about last night. And he said, what do I still lack? I feel it in my spirit as I talk about it. What do I still lack? Christ said, if you will be perfect, translate it, mature, full grown, 
You will go sell what you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And the young man walked away sorrowful because he had much possessions. What was his problem? He didn't understand that his God was a God of unlimited resources. Could that have been Christ's invitation for him to be the 12th apostle? Think about it. I don't know if there's regrets in heaven. If there is, we'll see a rich young ruler walking around. I could have done it. I could have been the guy. Think about this. God's original intent was Abraham, Isaac, and the older brother. Sold it. Sold it. For a bolus too. Dude. Hunger for more. Believers who dare to believe are always listening to hear God's voice. What is the most important thing God ever told you to do? I ask it again. What is the most important thing God ever told you to do? The last thing. Because if you haven't responded to the last thing, why is he going to give you another instruction? Mm. Challenges me. Believers who believe become creative in life-threatening situations. They're givers, not takers. They are always considering how giving will help. I got one of them on my board. Every time we meet, every time we're together, he wants to know the financial report so he can respond in some way. So that he can give. Number two, believers who dare to believe refuse to accept average as an acceptable standard. My friend John Mason wrote a book. I don't know if any of you have read it. An Enemy Called Average. Have you heard of it? I recommend it. Mediocrity is a region bound on the north by compromise, on the south by indecision, on the east by past thinking, and on the west by lack of vision. Hmm. People who dare to believe hate statements like this. Let's be practical now. They hate to hear somebody say, there's no way that can be done. When they say that to me, I, I get mad. What do you mean there's no way it can be done? Who do we serve? Or... That's just too much to ask. Like the Apostle Peter, those that dare to believe are always looking for another opportunity to see the power of God in action. They're standing on the edge of the boat saying, call me in. 
And so the negative artist comes along and paints a picture of Peter sinking. I want an artist to paint me a picture of Peter walking. Here's a thought. After Christ was raised from the dead and was out preparing a meal on the seashore and he calls out to his disciples who had gone fishing, have you caught anything, brothers? No. Come on in. He's cooking fish. And Peter puts on his outer garments, his heavy fishing garb, and goes to shore. I'm thinking, I'm wondering. Doesn't say he walked on water, but you don't throw on a canvas coat to swim to shore. Come on now. Believers who dare to believe always look beyond themselves. Can you say always? They're always looking for a way to be a blessing. They tend to be generous with their time and their finances. They're willing to share their resources with people in need. They love to identify with faith projects. Mar Sorello, who was one step away from death, is presently building the legacy. I don't know your opinion of him. He's a friend. I know him personally. But he is now in his latter years building the legacy center in San Diego. The budget, $187 million. Wow. Why? <laughs> Let me recommend his book, The Legend of Morris Sorello. It sounds self-serving. It's amazing. It'll challenge you. People, they love to identify with faith projects. They view large endeavors as fun. I went to California to a board meeting. In those days, uh, we didn't, we had, I had a suit bag and, and I used to carry my suits all in this bag and I'm going to this board meeting and the first thing that I do when I arrive in my hotel room the first thing I do is hang up my suits and shirts first thing so I we're, we're down in beautiful La Jolla a gorgeous place Hilton right on the water I was so thankful I was on the board that day and, and when, when I step into my hotel room I'm taking and I unclasp my garment bag and I throw it and just like it's going out over the bed and it's like Holy Spirit speaks to me right there right there it's like it's like it goes still frame (laughs) the bag is still in the air and the Holy Spirit speaks send Vanessa a thousand dollars I'm going what what well, Vanessa was a young lady from our church and we were sending a team to Scotland on a ministry trip and her father was well-to-do. Her family got no shortage and she's, she was wanting to go on the trip. 
And I think there's about eight or 12 of our young people going on this trip to go to Scotland. And so I started this argument with Holy Spirit. Why would I send her money? And he didn't answer. To which I said, I don't have $1,000. He answered that. He said, yes, you do. And I responded, no, I don't. He says, yes, you do. You have RSPs. I said, that's for my retirement. And he said, I don't care. Do you ever have these conversations with Holy Spirit or is it? Am I the only one? Am I that weird? Anyway, he said he didn't care. He said, cash it in. Oh, man. There's a penalty if I cash it in. Again, I don't care. Pick up my phone, call Vanessa's father. I said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to send money to your daughter. Silence. I said, are you there? He said, just this morning, I asked Vanessa, do you have money? She said, no, I don't have enough. I'm $1,000 short. He said, I guess you're not going because our arrangement was that if you were going to go to Scotland, you were going to raise the money yourself. Oh. I'll send it as soon as I get home. Her ticket's taken care of. That following Friday night, we gather in a prayer meeting. We're sending the team off. We're praying for people. I go over to Vanessa. I take her hands. Father, may this young lady be anointed of God to heal the sick. Well, that's an unusual prayer. I don't usually pray that over people. Pray not over her. They go to Scotland and they start working with the church, setting up a coffee house. And my son notices these people going through the coffee house all the time, going up the stairs. And he says, what are these people doing? Oh, these guys rent an apartment upstairs. Yeah, but there ain't that many. There ain't 50 people upstairs. I see them coming and going all day. Oh, well, they've got a little operation up there. They, they sell drugs. Really? Guy comes down and my son goes over, strikes up a conversation with this fellow and they're working together and he says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, we're starting up this coffee house. There's a church group. We're helping them get it ready and we're, we're wanting them to be able to, you know, have a presence in the city and minister to young people. And the guy said, huh, I used to be a Christian. Really? Yeah. He says, I used to believe that stuff. He says, until my sister overdosed, went blind. The church couldn't do anything for her. And my son says the almost incredible thing. Bring her tomorrow night and we'll pray for her. I says, if you pray for her and God heals her, my whole family will come to the church. Guess who prayed for her the next night? Vanessa. Vanessa. Her eyes opened. The whole family came to Christ. $1,000 out of an RSP. 
I got so many. <laughs> wow. Believers who dare to believe will sacrifice security for divine purpose. They smuggle Bibles. They rescue discarded children. They take on huge financial projects. They challenge systems and individuals that bring oppression. They expose evil when it is not safe to do so. Have you seen the movie, movie documentary, Sheep Among Wolves? If I were to ask you where the fastest growing church in the world is, I don't think anybody would give me the answer I'm going to give you. I sat up almost half the night watching that documentary again. It's so compelling, so powerful. The fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. It's underground, they have no property. They have no bank accounts. They have no head office. They have no buildings. But they are growing by the thousands. Do you know what entry level is to become a member of this church? This is how it works. People in Iran have a vision or a dream. They encounter Jesus Christ. And then there are other people, believers now, who are in prayer and they pray this prayer every morning. Father, lead me to someone who has encountered you. And they wait. And somehow they meet that individual. And the question is, did you encounter him? Invariably, the person tears up and says, yes, I experienced him last night. Then let me tell you about him. And they start their conversation. And before their conversation is concluded, there's a new believer. But it doesn't stop there because they operate their church on the basis of God called us to make disciples, not converts. And once they start this conversation, the question about going and becoming a member of this church, here is the entrance exam. Are you willing to die for Christ? The woman they interviewed said to her husband, she said, are you willing to accept the fact now that I'm a believer that when I, if I am discovered, I will be raped, I will be abused, I will be tortured and killed. Can you accept that? And her husband said, yes. That's how important the gospel is. I listened to the story of a little girl was living in this Muslim family and her father went into business with another man. The other man came to their house. 
celebrate their business deal and raped the girl at five years old. Every time he visited, he had sexual relationships with this girl. It tore up her inside, just messed up her reproductive system. And he threatened that if she said anything, there would be problems. She said nothing. She kept that dark secret in herself for all those years when she was finally mature enough she one day, out of desperation, attempted suicide. She was taking so many pills. In her broken state, her mother asked her, what is going on with you? And so she finally confessed to her mother, this man that is a partner of my father has been taking advantage of me all these years. The mother was upset. She ran and talked to her husband about it. His response, go in and beat the daughter. And every time it happened, he would beat her again. It's your fault this is happening. Miraculously, she had one of those experiences. She was standing on a table. There's a hook in the ceiling. They have hooks in the ceilings and around for fans. And she put the rope around the hook, tied it around her neck. And her last words were, God, if you love me, show yourself to me. And she jumped. She woke up later on the floor or in her bed. The rope had miraculously severed. Her neck was black. But she saw Jesus. And she was healed of all that pain in an instant. That is the church in Iran. They're made up of broken people, drug addicts, people who have tortured individuals. I'm sorry to be so graphic, it's reality. That's the church God is building. Do you think do you think that they've got something to say to the church in the West? I'm not going. He preaches too long. <laughs> I'm not going. The music's loud. People who dare to believe confront those who take advantage of the innocent. They're willing to take on the giant while others hide and foxholes, i.e. David. Do you dare to believe? Hmm. What did you come to see? I feel, maybe you'd stand with me, I feel a bit of the tension in the room. And I just want to pray for us today before we leave. And my prayer for you goes this way. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, give us ears, I pray, to hear Holy Spirit. 
so that he might communicate to us the way that only he can. Maybe he wants a thousand dollars. Maybe he wants us to believe you largely. Maybe he wants us to look beyond our limitations that we have dared place upon ourselves. I'm too shy. I'm not talented enough. I'm too young. I'm too incapacitated. I don't speak well. Whatever it is, Father, we surrender those limitations to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we're inviting you to speak to us. To speak to us in ways that perhaps we never imagined. As we go from this place today, we give your permission to talk. And we conclude by praying for the church in Iran. We know that some of them right now are suffering. Some are martyrs even today. And yet as they give everything for you, there are others that are being redeemed that have had a dream last night that are going to come into your kingdom. And so we thank you for this in the strong name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your challenge. You're not done with us yet. There's still still more to do. Still more lives to influence. Still more people to touch. That's what we come to see. That's why we're here. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.